Here we go, Romans chapter nine, if you have a Bible. Wonderful thing to have, it'll scare the hell out of you. Some of you have more hell to scare out than others. Romans chapter nine, verses 25 and 26. One of the most astounding verses in your Bible, here it is. God says, I'll call nobodies. You know, the Holy Ghost, we're gonna celebrate Pentecost all week, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning coming up. The Holy Ghost will do for you what a phone booth did for Clark Kent. The Holy Ghost will make you feel like a somebody when you know you ain't nobody. If he ever did that for you, let me know right there. If you could see, I feel God's spirit. If you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. Now you could take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire to live for him. All the glory, all the blessing, all the joy, all the benefits of belonging to Jesus. He said right here, I will take nobodies and I will make them somebodies. If he ever did it for you, let me know. He said, God said, I will call the unloved and make them beloved. Love this part. In the place where they cried out, where they yelled out at you, you're nobody. Now they're calling you God's living children. If that's you, shout, that's me. Now you remember that David, that little peach fuzz faced boy tending his father's sheep, slayed the mighty Goliath. And then Abner, and Abner was King Saul's cousin. And Abner was also the commander in chief of the armies of Israel. He brought David after the slaughter of Goliath to King Saul, Abner, Saul's cousin, brought him to the king and said, what do you think about this boy? And Saul was really, really impressed with David. Now let's pick up the narrative in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses one through four. I'll read a little bit more than I'm accustomed to, but here we go. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, get that, Saul's son Jonathan's soul was knit with the soul of David. And your Bible said that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Saul had Saul said to David on that day that he would no longer let him go back to his father's house. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe, hmm. making a covenant. Jonathan and David cut covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan then stripped himself of his garments, of his robe, and he gave it to David, even to his sword and his bow and his girdle. 
Now this passage, my dear beloved brother and sister, is one of the greatest stories of true and lasting friendship found anywhere in your Bible. Here's David, the great giant slayer, and Jonathan, the son of Saul, the king of Israel, making a covenant with each other, which involved the exchange of robes. Now that represented all of both parties' possessions were equal, and also their weapons, which represented their power and their protection, which would be given one to the other. Now the word covenant, of course, you know, means to cut. So you've often heard the terminology in the Bible and in modern society, in the ancient world and in the present world, that is cutting covenant. It's still as applicable today as it ever was. Now, King Saul became insanely jealous of David's popularity among the people of Israel because they were chanting, Saul the king has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. So eventually David had to flee Saul's wrath. He and Jonathan, meeting for the very first time before they were separated for life. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace for as much as we have sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between, here it is, my seed and thy seed forever. And David arose for the final time and departed. But here's the key. I need you to get this in your heart. Jonathan and David were not only covenant partners with each other. No, no, no. It's far more than that. They became the heads, like the headwaters of a stream. They became the heads of their own households representing their descendants and generations forever would remain in the same covenant that they had cut together. Now track with me. The Lord Jesus Christ, hanging pale and pallid on Calvary's rugged beam, was there for the purpose, hear me, of cutting covenant. Blood ran freely down that naked side. Jesus, in that moment, became the head of the covenant for the entire human race. God the Father did not make a covenant with you. You're not even in the room with me. You're not even locked in with me right there where you are. We have the conception that we are in covenant with Jesus. The fact of the matter is, it is Jesus who is in covenant, blood covenant with the Father. We are adopted into that covenant because we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This covenant doesn't only involve Jesus, it involves God the Father. This eternal, this unalterable covenant is illustrated to us in the story of Jonathan and David. And then all of their descendants 
after them. I'm going to show you today that when this covenant is enforced, it has more power through the multiplication of generations than it did when it was originally cut between the two covenant heads. In this case, Jonathan and David. In our case, Jesus and our Father God. Very soon thereafter, King Saul and Jonathan both were slain in battle by the Philistines over on Mount Gilboa. At 30 years of age, David ascended to the throne of Israel. The first thing that he did would help a lot of American politicians. The first thing that David did when he became king of Israel was to secure his borders because without a border, you do not have a nation. One of his first acts of king there, as king thereafter are this, 2 Samuel 9.1. And David said, is there yet any that is left? Watch, of the house of Saul or Jonathan, David now saying that I may show him covenant kindness, watch this, for Jonathan's sake. Now I need to pause right there and I need to tell you this. Every blessing of God, every benefit of the kingdom of God does not come to you, it comes to the Lord Jesus and you become the benefactor thereof. Are you watching me right now? It is not your blessing, it is his blessing in you. He is the covenant head and nothing gets from heaven to you lest it come first through the covenant head of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, is there anybody left from Jonathan's house actually, that I now being king may be able to show that person covenant kindness. Now you have to remember that Saul and David were fierce enemies. What does that mean? Well, that means that anybody that was still in Israel when David got on the throne replacing Saul was in fear for their lives. So now here's David on the throne and he's saying, look, is there anybody left of my past enemy's family? Now he tags it with that I may show him covenant kindness. But to anyone of Saul's family, they fled Israel when David became king because they, would sh they were sure that David's wrath toward Saul as Saul's toward David would be poured out on all those of his house. Well, there was a former servant of King Saul. His name was Ziba. He was identified to David as one of Jonathan's direct sons. His name was Mophibosheth. I don't know why they didn't name him Jim and Sam and so forth, but this Mephibosheth, he was like many of you, self-quarantined. Are you listening? He was hiding out in a place called Lodabar. Now the name Mephibosheth actually translates shameful one. 
His very name, every time he heard it, he didn't hear Mephibosheth. He heard you shameful thing. He was living in a place to add insult injury, literally called no pasture, no provision, no peace. He was a, a refugee who had escaped across the Jordan River when Saul's household fled before the advancing armies of the Philistines. Now, now, Mephibosheth, remember who had been the king's grandson, found himself huddled in squalor in a little mud hut in the middle of desolation. He was nursing a, a thousand or more grudges, both from insults real and insults imagined. He had fallen out of favor with the socialites and the political and the wealthy class. He had lost the stature of being a king's grandson and a respected warrior's son. Now, huddled in that little hut. And oh, by the way, he's crippled too. His nursemaid, when she fled down the steps of the king's palace, fleeing in terror, fell and stumbled and fell upon his legs and broke them and they were never fixed. He's just a cripple, just a nobody, just a cassaway. And if that's not the worst, he was living in the house of Makir sold out, settled, given up. Mr. Shameful, <laughs> living in Lodabar, a place of no pasture, living in the house of people who had sold out, lost their dreams, lost their effervescence for life, completely unknown to Mephibosheth, many, many, many miles away, King David had a plan. And that plan included Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was about to receive something he did not deserve. <laughs> He's about to receive something of which he was totally and completely unaware. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to ambush some folks. Mephibosheth in that mess was actually living in the place and a moment of divine favor. You cannot determine the favor of God based on your present circumstances. You see, Mephibosheth had no idea that there was a covenant that was still in force between himself and King David, but David knew it. Can I tell you today that you may not know what belongs to you, but there is a God in heaven and a King Jesus sitting beside him, and they know everything that belongs to you. David knew it. He was determined to fill every line and every quota of that covenant to the letter. Now Mephibosheth, he sure didn't look like much. He lived in squalor. He was dressed in rags. He was barely surviving on crumbs. 
While I was meditating on that, I, I thought about a song that said, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth and fame. There's a crown right there in the slums. You can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Uh, those five smooth stones, Dr. Lowe, they sure didn't look like much until one of them went wafting through the air and met Goliath between his eyes in the middle of his forehead. That little boy's lunch didn't look like much till Jesus took it in his hand and blessed it. That jawbone of an ass, a donkey to you more prim and proper ones. Your Bible said an ass. The jawbone of an ass, not much of a weapon, but it was enough for Samson to break the skulls of more than a thousand Philistines. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger while angels sing happy birthday, and shepherds showed up to see if it was true. Didn't look like much. He was not very impressive till resurrection morning. Just as suddenly, one morning, just about dawn, visitors arrived at Mephibosheth's hovel. It was a detachment of King David's royal guard. And they arrived intent on escorting Mephibosheth back to Jerusalem. Now remember what that means to him, to appear before King David. That's how some folks say, when I want to introduce you to God through his son, Jesus Christ, fear strikes your heart. This dreadful deserter had now been found by King David's army. He was about to get what was coming to him. That was his mindset. Now you and I, well, we've got to always be prepared for a royal visitation. We never know what hour of the day or night God might show up in rescue or requirement. God spoke to Abraham while he was still in Ur of the Chaldees, still living there among idolaters. God surprised Jacob with an unexpected visitation at a place called Bethel. God appeared to Moses in the desert of Midian. His glory appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. We must live with the earnest expectation that God our Father may manifest himself to us at any moment, even now. Now you'd certainly think that anyone would be ready to leave a place called Lodabar. Think of it, let me break it down for you. Lodabar, a place of loneliness. Lodabar, a place of obscurity. Lodabar, a place of disappointment. Lodabar, a place of emptiness. Lodabar, a place of barrenness. Lodabar, a place of adversity. Lodabar, a place of rejection. I wish I had time to preach every one of them to you. There are chains, you know, that bind millions of people to lives lived in loneliness, obscurity, disappointment, emptiness, barrenness, adversity, and rejection. There is a certain perverted allure 
to a place like that. Do you know why? Nothing is required. Nothing is expected. Now the first chain that binds folks in a place like that is always fear. Lodabar is a great, great place to hide out from the pressures and the challenges of your life. People stay in Lodabar because they accept the label that somebody else peeled, licked, and stuck on them. For Mephibosheth, he was a victim. Are you? For Mephibosheth, he was bound in chains of the X factor, like many of you. He was X royalty. He was the son of the X warrior. He was the grandson of the X king. Don't you dare let anybody put an X on you about anything and quit calling somebody your X. Stop talking about them. Talk about you now. You're not an X anything. Somebody else's head is a really dumb place to keep your happiness. Other folks stay in Lodabar because of the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed because they don't know anything. Here's what I'm talking about. They've always been in Lodabar and they have no idea there is anything but Lodabar. Some of you have been in poverty for generations and have no idea that you can have more. Some of you said, my grandfather had a heart attack, my father had a heart attack, so I guess I'll die of a heart attack. Why don't you change families? Why don't you loose the chains? Why don't you break free? Why don't you make that generational curse of drug addiction end with you? Some stay in Lodabar because they sold out. They gave up. They gave in, they, they caved in. That man with the withered hand, Jesus walked up to him and said, I want to heal you. But he was satisfied with his withered hand. What are you satisfied with? What are you carrying around that God wants to deliver you this day from? I don't care if you are watching online. The glorious power of God is still real. What have you settled for? Some of you are in a a marriage not ordained of God because you just couldn't wait. So you settled. Some of you are in a career you settled for. Some of you wanted to preach the gospel, but you never had the backbone to come to Valor Christian College. Too much of a sacrifice. God never intends for you to settle down, settle for, or settle in. Tweet that. Refuse to be refused. Deny to be denied. Lay hold on the promise of God. Mephibosheth was like a lot of people today. He wasn't at the table. He had no voice. He had no say. He was at somebody else's mercy. What a pathetic way to live your life. 
Mephibosheth wasn't at the table. He's under the table. Fear and anxiety were his constant companions. The lie reverberating in his mind was, you will never, ever have enough. Bitterness, remorse over what might have been. Don't, ooh, give me a camera. Don't you ever, ever again in your life, let your dialogue be what might have been what was, what used to be. Here's what you have, a present and a future. And if the devil can't do anything about your past and he can't, he sure enough can't do anything about your present and your future. That's in the hands of God. I wish I had 5,000 in here shouting. Day after day, it was the same. No protection, no provision, no pasture, no hope. Some folks don't have a future. They just got a prolonged present. The day came, and I believe yours is here today. The day came when everything changed forever. I just want to say it softly. Your life can change forever today. Dramatic changes. Life rearranging turnarounds. Nobody's becoming somebody's. Everything's changing, Ashton Blair told us, because everything's changing. What an opportunity for you. What an opportunity for you to start over. Well, I lost my job. Great, you're gonna get one twice as good. Why aren't you shouting? Because you've settled. Mephibosheth was staring out his door on his little crutches and his broken legs, his own stench wafting up under his own nostrils. And he noticed a little puff of cloud way off in the distance. He thought, who in the world could be coming with an entourage large enough to create such an upheaval. Well, nobody ever came to Lodabar. Lodabar was like Denny's. Nobody actually intends to go there. You just end up there. <laughs> Lodabar, a dark, cold shiver ran down his crooked little spine. He was instantly paralyzed with fear. This was it. They'd finally found him. They'd surely execute him on the spot. In a silent rage, he cursed his own infirmity. Were it not for those crippled legs, he might be able to run and escape. Isn't there always an excuse? As it was, he just shuffled around in that filthy little hut looking for a place he might hide, but quickly realized that there was nowhere to hide in that horrible, horrible little hovel. They'd surely find him just like he was. A wretched, ruined man living in the howling backwoods wilderness of Lodabar, clothed in filthy rags. The lathered steeds of those 
Horses approached the lathered sides. Mephibosheth turned from the door. He tried to hide beneath his little rickety table in a desperate attempt to avoid being noticed, but it was all in vain. Suddenly, robust, gravelly voices screamed out his name, Mephibosheth, you shameful thing. An arm reached under that table, pulled him out and sentenced him to appear in the presence of King David in Jerusalem. What a nightmare that journey must have been. His imagination, like a movie screen, kept playing over and over all kinds of hideous scenarios that were sure to befall him in the presence of his mortal enemy, King David. Perhaps they'd play with him like a cat does with a mouse. Certainly they'd abuse him and prayerfully mercifully, they might release his body from its torments and death. In that moment, maybe where you are right now, living is making dying look easy. Well, they showed up at the palace, sure enough. King David out on the steps of the portico, waiting for him. Mephibosheth couldn't do anything but fall prostrate prostrate before David, his face to the floor. But when the king spoke, somehow he found the strength to look up at him. He could hear his ears, though muffled. He thought he heard the king say something about his father and a covenant. The next thing he knew, King David reached his arm down to help him stand on those crooked limbs. And out of the corner of his eye, Mephibosheth saw a scar. Immediately his mind ran back to when his father Jonathan would wrap his arms around him in King Saul's palace. His father had the same mark in his wrist but going the other direction. Someone, somewhere, had made provision for him before he ever had a need. Something was happening. Something, something was stirring, something greater than he even dared believe. He said, I remember I remember. You know what I remember today? I remember a time when life had beaten me down so severely that I couldn't lift up my head by reason of the weight of the disappointment of my own life and my sinfulness before God. I knelt down at an altar of prayer I remember another nail-pierced wrist reaching down to lift me up. And when I looked up, I saw a cross and a bleeding, suffering, sighing, dying Savior. He said, I'm doing this for you. I'm making a covenant between myself and God himself. 
And he said, of no strength of your own, but because of the love of God the Father and Christ his Son, you're an heir. If you give us your filthy rags, we'll give you a robe of righteousness. If you give us your brokenness, we'll give you our strength and might. All the blessings that were bestowed upon Mephibosheth were, were breathtaking. He would have peace. He would have provision. David said to him, I'm going to give you, you filthy, shameful, little broken creature. I preserved all the lands that King Saul and his family owned. Here's the title deed. And he handed it to that bent little man. David said, get these rags off of him. He's now an heir of mine. He's once again the son of a king. Take him. Bathe him. Put brand new clothes on him. Put him on a seat and you six carry him to dinner tonight. He's going to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. Mephibosheth looked at those boys, those big tall soldiers, and he said, yeah, and don't drop me on the way. I'm a king's kid. Can I tell you that Jesus is sending you a letter today? A letter of royal adoption. You may be in a very low place. You may be in a, a place that your name is shameful, not because somebody else gave it to you, but because you feel ashamed. Some of you have been raised so far away from the things of God, you, you barely even dare dream of the forgiveness of the king of the universe through a covenant cut with his son, Jesus Christ. You're no longer going to get by eating life's crumbs. Your mantra from this day forward should become, no more crumbs for me. I'm a king's kid. Well, you say, well, how does that happen, pastor? All you have to do is open up your heart. Ask Jesus Christ of Nazareth to bring you out of your circumstances. He'll put a robe on you a robe of righteousness. He'll clean you up. You don't have to do it. So many have the misunderstanding of what they have to do to come to God. First of all, nobody's asking you to come to church. We're asking you to come to God. He made you. He created you. He gave his life for you. And he's got a kingdom for you. There's restoration for some of you, but there's a brand new creation for most of you because God's kingdom is so far beyond anything you could ever dream of. No longer time for you to live in the place of loneliness. No longer for you to live in the place of obscurity. No longer for you to live in the place of barrenness and emptiness. 
no longer for you to abide in a living state of death. This is your moment. Yeah. The steeds of heaven's chariots have come by your house today. They're reaching out. They want to bring you before the king, not to curse you, but to bring you into covenant. God's not mad at you. He loves you so much he refused to live without you, so he gave his life on Calvary and was resurrected on the third day. And if you will just ask him today, he'll become your savior. Jesus is saying to you, underneath that table of life, living in the slums of sin, have no fear. This is not what you were created for. You were created for joy and peace and life and love and laughter and joy. You were not made to go to hell. You were made for the pavilions of heaven. And all you have to do to have heaven to go to heaven in instead of hell to go to hell in is to open your heart wide this very day and say, I accept Jesus. Would you do that right now? Would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Pastor Rod has described my situation. I may be in a place of brokenness, emptiness and loneliness. I, I may be living in a fearful place, but today the Holy Spirit has sent Pastor Rod by to invite me to the King's house. Lord Jesus, like Mephibosheth, I don't, I don't deserve anything from you. And yet before I needed you, you died to give me everything. And today, when living makes dying look easy, I choose life. I choose Jesus. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Give me eternal life. And I'll live for you as you teach me how. Welcome home. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.